Are you still trying to reinvent the wheel? Tens of thousands of professionals have attempted to solve the same challenges you're dealing with right now. Some of them failed, some of them succeeded. But very few of them succeeded and captured their proven approach to share it with the world. Mike Kunkel is one of these very few. He has been an enabler for over 30 years and has captured his proven approach in an extremely successful framework called the Building Blocks of Sales Enablement. Mike and I have now translated the Building Blocks of Sales Enablement framework into a learning experience that helps a new generation of enablement teams fast-track their journey to sales enablement mastery. Our combination of group coaching sessions, actionable video lessons, materials, resources, networking opportunities and templates makes mastering sales enablement best practices faster and easier than it has ever been before. So if you want to stop reinventing the wheel, maximize business impact and fast-track your career, consider joining a growing community of enablers at the Building Blocks of Sales Enablement Learning Experience. To learn more, visit goffwd.com slash blocks. That's g-o-f-f-w-d.com slash b-l-o-c-k-s. If we're going to be more human in our sales process, let's not keep working towards removing the human element of a sales process. Let's actually be human in our sales efforts because we can all see through it. We all know when we receive something that was crafted by a marketing team or was crafted by an AI bot or was shared with us by an AI automated sequencing, right? We all know immediately when we receive it and it doesn't give any of us the warm fuzzies and it doesn't make any of us want to respond or move forward. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. There's no doubt about it. Sales tech is experiencing astronomical growth right now with over 8,000 businesses pitching for the budgets of sales VPs around the world. Our guest in this episode is part of the sales tech revolution, heading up a fast-growing startup specialized in content-driven buyer experiences. In our conversation, he shares his thoughts on the sales tech arms race and how to ensure buyers remain the focus when investing in technology. Please welcome the CEO of SalesReach, Joshua Fady. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Felix. It's exciting to be here. What's your background and what do you currently do for those people that don't know you? Yeah, my background has always been primarily in sales, but I've dabbled in marketing. So for over 20 years, I've been in a revenue driving position, heavy tech focus on everything that I've done. Primarily when I was selling, I was selling in the creative services arena. And then from there moved into digital product development. And then from there actually rolled into building my own digital products. But my product that we're making definitely has more of a creative first sort of flair to it. So I'm still staying in the same vein that I've always been in, but I love staying in kind of that creative realm and helping people to craft better strategies using creativity in a visual first sort of sales presentation. So is it fair to say that you went from being a seller to now managing sales? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely a stint where I went from being a seller to being a manager. And I, what I figured out very quickly is that what they say about people that sell and people that manage is very, very true, right? Just because you're absolutely incredible as a salesperson does not mean that you're going to be incredible 
managing salespeople, I actually found that managing was one of my least favorite things to do in sales <laughs> because it actually made me less effective as a contributor because I don't really like to manage teams of sales professionals. I really like to own my quota and to go after it. I'm definitely a team player. I like to help all ships rise, but I like to own my numbers. I like to go after my numbers and I like to kind of have everyone out of my way. Here I go. That's awesome. That's probably also why you then went on to focusing on enabling sales teams with your technology and play more of an enabling role. Yeah, I mean, part of it for me really was that every sales organization always has the conversation of who's the top performer here and how do we replicate what that person is doing? How do we create a process that's repeatable for everybody here? And that's a really challenging thing for organizations. This is why people like Gary Vee say fire your top salesperson, right? They're saying it and people are hearing this and going, what? Why would I fire my top salesperson? But the reality is they're probably doing things that just don't scale. And they're doing things that you're not going to be able to bring your other team with them and it's going to make everybody feel bad, right? We have to like find ways of scaling our sales efforts. And sometimes just firing the top salesperson is the best way to fast track that. Creating repeatable processes is really something that I'm passionate about. Because sales is very much a process. There's a process we're going through. Everybody has their unique buying journey. That is true. And that will always be true because everybody has unique challenges and everybody's looking to solve for them in new, unique ways. And there's always different individuals in the room with their own challenges that are bringing to the table as well. But at the end of the day, we're having conversations, we're bringing them information, we're making sure they have the right information, we're introducing them to the right departments in our team when the time is right, we're chaperoning them through their experience, we're making it easy for them to understand the deal, and we're signing on the dotted line. I mean, that's a sale, right? That's a sales process. So making that repeatable shouldn't be so challenging, but it is. Yeah. And you mentioned sales process, which for a lot of organizations would have changed over the last few years, especially with the kind of changes that everybody had to deal with through COVID-19. What sort of changes in buyer behavior have you seen over the recent years? Yeah. I mean, we were seeing changes in buyer behavior before COVID. You know that, right? Marketing's been changing the way that they've been marketing to individuals in a B2B space for probably the last 10 years. We've been watching the inbound methodology and the inbound movement, and that's really been crafting this strategy of allowing buyers to start self-informing the way they wanted to be self-informed, right? They've been screaming, I don't want to talk to salespeople for the last 30 years, but it wasn't until the last 10 years that technology caught up enough where they actually didn't have to talk to us that much, right? And now we're at a point where buyers are conducting 70% of their process independently without involving a sales professional, it makes me feel bad as a salesperson because I don't know why they hate us so much. I don't know why they don't want to talk to us. <laughs> but I also admit and can realize that we did this to ourselves with pushy tactics that really did not respond to their actual needs. So basically what's happened now is we're at a stage because of COVID where they realized I actually don't have to meet face-to-face -face with salespeople because I've been doing it effectively for the last two years in a digital space. Everyone has. We've had to figure out how to. And so now it's becoming even more challenging for sales professionals to build that relationship. And what we really need to focus on is how we are engaging in a digital-first environment. Really focus on building trust. Really focus on 
creating an experience. Experience is really the number one opportunity. I believe that right now is figuring out how can you create an experience of working with you in a digital first environment. And this should not be too foreign to sales professionals. We are incredible entertainers, right? Every great sales professional you know throws the best holiday parties without question. But it's been challenging for us to figure out how to become entertainers in this digital first environment. But the ones that have embraced things like video-based tools for more of their sales process, for presenting presentations, for creating messaging for the entire review committee, not just for using it during cold outreach, that's just table stakes for video at this point, right? For figuring out ways to involve their team still in a digital first environment, that's been a challenging one, right? I mean, it used to be you would just pick up people in your solutions engineer department and in your sales department and in your marketing department, hop in a car and drive to a meeting together and go court the customer, right? Well, you're not doing that anymore, but we can still have digital ride-alongs, right? With Zoom, we can incorporate those people earlier and make it a more dynamic, personable sale. But we just have to be willing to embrace the tools at our disposal right now. Absolutely. I think that's a common thread that I see dealing with organizations who are really successful is that mindset shift from transaction to experience. And mm. as you said, I think video is one component, but then other content formats probably complement that as well. So what's your experience with content in general and the role of content in crafting that experience? A lot of organizations have lots of content assets, but you kind of can't see the forest because of all the trees. <laughs> right. um, so what's the solution there? Like, how do you really tackle the effective use of content in crafting a buyer experience? So number one, I think the important thing to realize is that your buyer, like I said earlier, is already digging around, doing their own information gathering. They're already downloading information on their own long before they reach out to you. They're reaching out to you because you're the gatekeeper of the proposal, right? They're not going to pass go unless they talk to a salesperson. So they have to do that. But at the same time, they're not gathering everything they need to make a decision, especially in the B2B space, just off your website. I mean, these are complex deals. This could be multi-million dollar deals. If the wrong decision is made, this could be people losing their job, right? And this could be years of wasted resources trying to implement a bad purchasing decision, right? So it's really, really important stuff that we're talking about here for businesses. But what are I'm seeing the content being important is we just need to understand that they're coming armed with content from our marketing teams already. We need to provide them more content to support where they actually need to end up at the end of the day. But we need to acknowledge the fact that they already have certain things. We can't just be regurgitating the same stuff that they likely already found on their own. We need to treat them not like a child, right? Like understand that they probably already have that. We can ask the questions. Say, did you see, we have a case study out that's actually talking about that specific challenge that you just brought up. Did you come across that in your studies of our business? Oh yeah, I have that one right here. Great. Actually, can we dive into that a little bit? What did you assemble when you were going through your buyer's dream? Let's just call out the elephant in the room. We know that they've been assembling things. Let's figure out what those things are, right? That should be the new baseline. While we're figuring out what technologies they're already using, what challenges they have, what their goals are, let's also ask the additional question, what do you know? What led you to us? What did you save on your computer that you're planning to bring to your superiors or to your decision-making team later on this week or later on this month or in the next nine months when you finally decide whether or not we are a vendor that's going up in front of that room, what information do you have? Now, what information resonated with you? 
what information that you gathered actually speaks to the challenge that you think you have. Now let's validate that that's the challenge that you actually have. Now let's figure out what additional supporting information we can be bringing to you so that when you bring this in front of your decision-making team, you feel 100% that you understand the deal and that you have everything you actually need to make an educated decision and to speak to this to your team. I think that's the biggest challenge right now. There's a great article that Gartner put out that I can share with you and you can share in the notes of this podcast if you want to. It's about a year old now, but it's still very, very applicable. The number one challenge facing B2B buyers right now is buyer confusion. There's too much information out there. They don't know how to make sense of it. And when they don't know how to make sense of the deal, they don't move forward. Not the way you want them to. If they do move forward with you, the studies have shown that they move forward on a lesser dollar amount if they move forward at all. Most of them are just saying, you know what, I'm going to stick with the devil I know because I can't make sense of this deal and it's too important. So let's just not do anything, right? So we need to clear up the confusion and content is absolutely part of it because they have gathered content. You need to help them. You need to be an advisor and a strategist. You need to put yourself in their position, put yourself on their team, say, okay, well, this is the challenge and we've identified that this actually is the challenge or maybe here, we've actually identified this is the challenge we should be solving for first, right? And here's the product solutions, whatever it is that we can bring to the table to help you solve for those. And here's everything you need to equip yourself to move forward in an educated way. These are all the things you're going to be purchasing from us. This is how we're going to implement whatever you're moving forward with. This is everything detailed and organized for you. So you don't have to try to make sense of this anymore. We just made sense of it for you. Absolutely. I think you touched on a topic that's really interesting, especially in the context of the conversation around scaling self-effectiveness and identifying excellence. I think a lot of, especially large organizations, they fall into that trap of trying to systemize and standardize everything throughout the sales process without actually leaving space for that sort of diagnosis that you mentioned. I think that's when you fall into a trap of really feeling like as a customer being passed through a process and along the way, you're just being supplied the standard information that the process defines as being the information to be passed on right now, rather than really responding to your needs. So I think what I certainly see is there's a challenge in actually managing that balance between leaving salespeople freedom to be consultative and systemizing things to enable scale. Yeah. And I think a lot of organizations understand this is a challenge and a lot of software companies understand this is a challenge. This is where I'm not going to allow myself to get up on my soapbox as much as I typically do, Felix. I'm going to be more kind <laughs> to your audience here, but this is where AI, my fear of what AI is doing to the sales profession starts really creeping in, okay? Because here's the problem with AI in my mind, and it will get there. Don't worry. It will get there. It'll be a great thing eventually. It's going to replace us all, right? We're all going to be replaced by robots. No, I'm kidding. But here's the problem is that AI is really just intelligent responses based on what you've put into the other systems in your toolkit, right? So if in your CRM, if you're the world's greatest salesperson at updating your CRM, which is nobody ever that I ever met, right? <laughs> like nobody ever is appropriately moving through the stages, is appropriately taking notes, is appropriately doing any of this stuff. It never happens. So here's the problem. It's a lot of AI that says, hey, guess what? We know this person was on your website and they did this, this, and this. And now you're responding with your third email. And because you're responding with your third email, you should probably be talking about X, Y, and Z in your sequencing. And so we're going to attach this piece of content automatically to the footer of this email, because at this point, they should be interested in that. 
Well, that might be accurate, but it might also not be accurate at all. And that might also be something you already shared with that person, right? But now this AI thing is stepping in and it's just making you look incompetent in your job. And so the other thing that I always caution a lot of people with is if we're going to be more human in our sales process, let's not keep working towards removing the human element of a sales process. Let's actually be human in our sales efforts because we can all see through it. We all know when we receive something that was crafted by a marketing team or was crafted by an AI bot or was shared with us by an AI automated sequencing, right? We all know immediately when we receive it and it doesn't give any of us the warm fuzzies and it doesn't make any of us want to respond or move forward, right? And then when the sales professional reaches out and tries to re-engage, those messages get ignored because now it's just spammy. Now it's just too much. And it's like, you know what? The last 15 I've received for you have been so impersonal. I'm sure this one is as well. Well, guess what? This was the one that actually mattered. And now they're not paying attention anymore because you scared them away with too much spam, right? So we have to be careful with those things. We have to allow ourselves for the human element. Skills are obviously a big part of the human element that you touched on. And when we think about the hardcore sales approach of the 90s and in some cases, even the 2000s, and you compare that to what is needed today, thinking about the consultative approach and the focus on uh, creating experience, what are some of the skill sets you see being crucial these days that didn't used to be crucial in the past? And what do you anticipate being next on the horizon for that sales skill set? I'm not going to say the cliche word empathy right now, because <laughs> if you don't already know that empathy is important in sales, then I'm not going to teach like you're not listening. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not going to say that one. What I'm going to say is the ability to allow yourself to play the long game. Sales has always been a long game. Sales has always been a relationship based practice, but today. Where I see the most success is not necessarily from the conversations that I have with the individual themselves becoming a customer. It's becoming a trusted resource to somebody who then wants to bring you up, wants to advocate for you, and wants to make introductions and inroads to their network where they feel you can bring additional value, right? And that's a very long strategic play. And I'm not saying that every relationship that I build is just to hopefully get to the referrals that come in, right? I think when you get into sales, you do that because you're the kind of person that likes to make friends with people, right? You like to have a lot of friends. But if you can allow yourself to play the long game and not fall back into those spammy tactics that we used to 10, 15, 20 years ago, not go for the hard sell, only really sell when it makes sense for your buyer, when you know that their needs are going to be met by what you're selling into them. When you're that person, then you start being the person that they think of every time when they have a need. And then that's where honesty becomes really important. Hey, Josh, I have a need for X, Y, and Z. You know what, Felix? I'm not your guy for that. But here's the thing. I actually know three people that are incredible at that. Would you mind if I made an introduction for you? How many introductions would you like? Would you like all three? Okay. I just gave away money. A lot of people look at it that way but I didn't because you're going to be introduced to two to three people that I trust, that I think do an absolutely incredible job. I know they're going to do a great job for you. And when they do an incredible job, you're going to think, wow, that Josh, he's great. This happened because of him. And I'm definitely reaching out to him when I have another need because 
either he's going to be able to solve for it or he's going to know the right person to help me through that, right? And sooner or later, I'm going to be the right person to solve for the challenges that you have. And I'm going to be the one that gets the first crack. And you're probably not going to look at too many other options because you're going to go, well, I already trust this guy. Like we're moving forward. It might be a formality. You might have to look at two to three other vendors. They don't even have a fighting chance because you know what decision you're going to make at the end of the day. So allow yourself to play the long game. That's what I'm going to respond with. Yeah. And do you think that that means that salespeople should be trained more like consultants and should think of themselves more like business consultants rather than the providers of tools and services? I think this is one of the most fascinating things that I've seen in sales over the last couple of years now is if you were to ask a marketing person five years ago about their sales team, they would probably respond in a fairly negative way, probably about their intelligence. Honestly, like this is a profession where it was like, do you not know what you want to do with your life? Well, then you should get into sales, right? For how many years was that the perception of sales? And the reality is that to be effective in sales, you need to have a very high emotional IQ. Many, many top sales professionals are incredibly smart individuals. And what's been happening in sales is not only are they becoming more strategists and business advisors, like we are not here to sell anymore. We are here to help now. That's what we're here to do. But on top of that, our role is becoming so much more aligned with marketing than it ever has been before. And that's the part that I personally really love because I have a very creative mind and I love marketing. I do. I just love marketing. I've always been in sales, but any chance I get to hang out with marketing teams, I want to hang out with them. They haven't always wanted to hang out with me, right? And they haven't <laughs> always been happy to see the things that I create on my own in my off hours, but I always love hanging out with them and exploring the way their mind works. But there's so many different skills that sales professionals have to have today to be effective in their role. Understanding how to use technology is absolutely one. And that's a roadblock for a lot of sales professionals, especially ones that have been in the field for 30, 40 years, right? I mean, if you're 70 years old and right now somebody on your leadership team is coming to you and saying, you need to start making personalized videos, how do you think that conversation's going to go? I mean, let's just be honest, right? <laughs> that being said, I do have some customers that are 70 years old that are using the video aspect of my tool and killing it because when you receive a video from somebody that's 70 years old, it just feels great, right? It just brings so much more joy into your day, right? So I always tell my customers in that age range, I'm like, no, you don't get it. If you do this, this is going to work so much better than the 30-year-olds that are doing this. They can't wait to get a video from you. But starting with technology is one. But number two, it's just the business acumen. Just really closely aligning yourself with your customers, understanding your customers' needs. And I think that this has really led to the rise of people that are a little bit more specialists in their sales efforts rather than generalists in their sales efforts, right? I think that we're seeing more sales professionals really trying to niche in, just like businesses are really trying to niche in. I have a friend that says the riches are in the niches. And I believe that. If you can allow yourself to really niche in and stay focused on something that you can really be seen as an expert and actually be an expert in, that's where you're going to find the gold paved road. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you run a sales tech business and you've witnessed over the last few years the explosion of the sales tech space. And 
it's similar to what's been happening in the marketing tech space over the last decade or so. I'm not sure about the latest numbers, but it's growing exponentially. Yes. What are your thoughts on that whole trend? Like, are we really seeing a bubble? Will there be consolidation? What are your thoughts on that whole space? So the last I checked, there's over 8,000 tools on the sales technology landscape. Yeah. That's crazy. Now, Felix, it's much different. I'm in the States, right? In the States, the average sales professional's organization is licensing nine tools for each sales rep. Where you are, I believe the average is 1.5. Am I correct on that? It might be slightly higher, but okay, probably not far off. Yeah. Right around there, right around like two tools per sales rep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the last time I heard the stat was like nine months ago. So I'm sure it's grown at this point. But yeah, it's absolutely insane. And yes, I believe that there is going to be a lot of consolidation in this. Because here's the thing. You see a lot of these companies popping up and they immediately come out and say, we're integrated with, we're integrated with, we're integrated with. But they're not truly integrated with. They're just using these programs, these little softwares to connect the two. And there's a couple shiny objects that talk to each other. And that's about all it does, right? That's the very layman's term version of what's actually happening, by the way. But that's not a true integration. And that's not enough. And what companies are figuring out right now is that if we're going to have reps or any customer facing team doing anything, we need it all to be communicating with the primary platforms that we're working with. And for most organizations, that is their CRM. And for a lot of organizations, the bulk of them, it's going to be either Salesforce or Microsoft Dynamics or HubSpot, or, you know, there's some players coming up like Pipedrive, Copper. Those are really cool CRM tools as well. But for the most part, you're looking at the three biggies, right? And Adobe also obviously coming into there, but everything has to talk to those things. It's really, really important. What I'm seeing is a lot of acquisition activity. I'm seeing a lot of the big players either acquiring the small players, bringing it in to the fold or knocking them off building their own version of whatever they're seeing in the marketplace and bringing it in. Because at the end of the day, if you have to work with your asset management in this place, your video in this place, your call monitoring in this place, your proposal creation in this place, your CRM in this place, your whatever, right? Like I've just scratched the surface here of the tools that people are using. That's a lot of places we're jumping around to. We don't want that. We need a central source of truth. I'm definitely not going to get salesy with my platform. But we built our platform with that in mind. We brought together a lot of tools into one place that sales professionals and customer-facing teams needed because I didn't want to just build another video-based tool. I don't see any value in just another video-based tool. I see absolutely zero value in another video-based tool, if I'm being totally honest with you, because people are over that. But what we need is organization. What we need is personalization, humanization. We need to make it simple. We need to make it transparent. We need to make it visual, right? 90% of a sales process, what customers remember is visual. That's really important that we be very visual first in our approach and efforts if we want to find success. So these are the things I think definitely consolidation. I don't know. I can't predict if it's going to be through acquisition or just outright building it internally. I think what we saw with Salesforce and the acquisition of Slack blew everybody's mind. I still don't think anyone's wrapped their mind around how Slack was worth $27 billion, but Mark Benioff has a vision for it. And I would not want to question Mark Benioff because he seems to know what he's doing. <laughs> he's a big dude too. <laughs> he's a big dude too. I don't want to go up against him. Are you kidding me? Yeah. When it comes to the buyer side, seeing all those sales tools popping up left, right, and center, and probably being bombarded as a sales leader with 
sells pitches left, right, and center. What's your recommendation to commercial leaders who want to source tech that truly adds value to their organization? And again, this is very self-serving when I make this statement, but if I didn't believe this, then I wouldn't have built what I built. But my number one recommendation when you're looking at these 8,000 tools on the marketplace is to ask yourself one simple question. Is this designed to make my life simpler or is this designed to make my customer's life simpler? I cannot think of a more important question for you to ask yourself when you're reviewing these tools because out of those 8,000 sales tools, 90 some percent of them, I promise you were designed to make your internal teams move faster, find the things they need easier and make your life easier. But at the same time, they did not focus on making your customer's life easier. And at the end of the day, what are we here for? We're here to drive revenue, to get people to say yes. The simplest way to do that is to make it easier on them. So what I'm seeing is a rise in popularity of tools that do what mine does, that are focusing on buyer enablement. The entire theory that if we make it simpler for someone to say yes, that they will say yes more. That's what you should be focusing on. Find those types of tools. And what a lot of people are honing in on right now, again, they're jumping on the video bandwagon. They think, well, this makes it easy because I, I just explained it in a video. Again, that's self-serving because it's so easy to just hit record and make a message, right? So that's not enough. Digital sales rooms, which is what my company built, that is what I'm really seeing rise. And if you search digital sales rooms, you'll see articles from Gartner, from PwC, from McKinsey, from Forrester. They're all talking about this is the way to really create a better digital first experience around buying from you that makes sense to your customer, that's easier for them to share internally and build consensus and to say yes and move forward with you. So be looking for something that makes it easier for your customer is my number one advice. That's awesome. And on that note, Josh, uh, that brings us to the end of the show. That was fast. <laughs> that's right. Where can people find out more about SalesReach and connect with you if they want to continue the conversation? So our web address is salesreach.io. All one word, no hyphen, very easy to get to, but the extension is not.com. Don't go to that one, wrong business. Salesreach.io. Best way to connect with me, you can send me an email, josh at salesreach.io, simple email. Or what you can do, probably the best and fastest way, is to just find me on LinkedIn. You'll find me Joshua Feedy on LinkedIn. Send me a connection request. Please put a message in your connection request. Let me know that you heard me on this podcast. I do not accept every request that comes through in LinkedIn. I'm pretty specific about who I'll let into my network. I like to curate a nice audience for myself where we can help each other. So let me know where you found me. Send me a message on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to connect with you there. And hopefully we can find ways to bring each other value. Awesome. Thank you so much, Josh. Thanks for having me on, Felix. It's been an honor. Considering the recent budget cuts in the enablement space, it is no surprise that in a recent LinkedIn poll, 56% of enablers stated that they plan to increase their ability to create business impact in 2023. I've teamed up with sales enablement legend Mike Kunkel to create a webinar that outlines proven approaches to maximizing enablement's business impact. To watch the seven steps to maximizing enablement's business impact, visit goffwd.com impact. That's goffwd.com slash I-M-P-A-C-T.